I wonder as you look around you and you see other followers of Jesus, whose faith has been among the most compelling to you and why? You have someone who comes to your mind, some of these say, you know, they are somebody that they make me go, God is real, like Jesus works in someone's life because when I see them, that kind of faith is genuine. I think all of us have been struck by something like that and it, it sort of pushes us forward and, and, and to say, wow, I, in all the question marks of life, I see their faith and it just, what would it be for you? If you're in a small group, it's one of the questions that we have for this week, and you'll have an opportunity to just share that in your group to say, here's someone who's really, their faith has inspired me. I have a front row seat uh, and get to see that happen with a lot of people at Grace. There's so many stories I could tell. I wanna choose one of those today, and rather than me telling you their story, I'd like you to hear it uh, from, from them. It's Wes and Krista Stump, and they've been a part of the Grace family for a long time. And Krista wrote about their experience that happened in the last few years. Here's what she writes. My story begins when I married my husband, Wes, and later had two beautiful daughters, Alexa and Kendall. Our life was full of happiness, laughter, and fun-filled adventures. Then one day, our life took an unexpected turn. Our daughter, Kendall, came down with a fever a month before her third birthday. Over the next few weeks, more symptoms presented, such as fatigue, loss of appetite, and irritability. And then one night at bath time, I noticed her distended abdomen. I was very concerned at that point and went back to the pediatrician the next day. She was immediately sent for an ultrasound and blood work. Before we knew it, we were being told to pack our bags and head downtown to the Cleveland Clinic without really knowing what was wrong. In June 2017, we received the devastating news that a tumor was found in Kendall's abdomen. A biopsy and scans later confirmed it was stage four neuroblastoma. That moment was the most intense anguish I had ever felt in my life. My heart was shattered and I hoped it was all a bad dream. We were living the nightmare no parent ever wants to live. We were forced into a world we didn't want to be in. I cried out to God. Why? Why? What did I do to deserve this? I begged God to let there be another way, but the only way out was through. I knew I was going to need God's strength for the journey ahead. As time went on, we adjusted to our new life in the cancer world. Kendall began to smile again. She was making the most of her days and trying her best to be a kid in between chemo, scans, blood draws, and side effects. She loved the staff at the hospital and called them her friends. Her response to what she was facing inspired me and so many. Between her response and a book I found called Choose Joy by Kay Warren, we adopted a motto for her journey, Choose Joy. On the tougher days when joy was hard to find, we still always had our joy in Jesus. We knew that he was in control, that he was with us in this storm, and we could praise him even when it hurt. The joy of the Lord was our strength. After many rounds of chemo, surgery, transplants, Radiation and immunotherapy, Kendall's cancer continued to progress, and on October 13, 2018, Kendall went home to be with Jesus. She was just four years old. Since Kendall's passing, the Lord has been close to my broken heart and has carried me when I didn't think I could go on. 
I've learned that while I grieve deeply for the loss of my daughter and have great sorrow, I can still have joy in Jesus. I can have joy because of what he has promised to us. In John 16, Jesus says, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. I hold on to my hope in Jesus and I am counting on him to make all things right again someday. Until then, I continue to choose joy in memory of my precious Kendall and have faith that our happy ending is on the way. It's inspiring, isn't it? I read a story like that and I go, wow. And I still know Wes and Krista. They're part of our church family and I see them. And when we talk about choosing joy, about having a joy that's the basis of your life, we're not talking about walking around with a giddy smile all the time or laughing constantly or whatever. That may be part of it at times, but joy is deeper than that. Joy is this settledness, this deep confidence that no matter what happens in your life, that God is bigger. That because of the death of Jesus and his coming back to life in history, the greatest victory ever, that because of that, that Jesus lives today and that he sees us and knows us and when I entrust my life to him, he writes the final chapter, not only for me, but for all of history. And when I absolutely believe that, it means that I'm not tethered to my circumstances for my joy. My joy isn't based on my performance. My joy instead is because of what Jesus Christ has done and the promises that he makes that I can know that in the end, he wins. And everything else is just the middle of the story. And he's gonna write the final chapter. I find myself that one of the most compelling aspects of genuine faith is joy. A joy that, as Krista wrote, and as Jesus said in John 16, cannot be stolen. A joy that's an evidence that, that Jesus lives in me. It says that one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, we call them the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter five, is love and then what? Joy and peace. When I see people live with joy like that, and there's all kinds of people at Grace and other places that I know, I just go, wow, God, that is, that is so compelling to me. How do we have that kind of joy? The Apostle Paul experienced tremendous suffering in his life. Pain, persecution, disappointment, people letting him down. A lot of the stuff that we face today. And yet he writes about a joy that cannot be taken away. My heart for you today is that you'll leave here today with a firmer grasp on why you can have joy, and we're gonna pray together at the end that we'll live into that joy, all right? So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter five, and if you don't have a paper Bible, you can either look at the Bible app, or just go to our Grace app, and you'll see you can look at the scriptures there as well, as well as the notes are, uh, for the message are on the Grace app, and uh, a way to follow along. Those of you engaging online, really glad to have you with us as well. Some of you in Brook Park, Berea, Brunswick, Brexville, Boston, sorry about your Red Sox, uh, and 
Uh, but thanks for being a part of, of today. So just a quick overview before we dig into Romans chapter five. The last few weeks, we've seen how in Romans chapter one to three, just sort of a quick overview, that we've said there are five S's in the book of Romans. The first three chapters are the big S of sin, that we've all been infected with this diagnosis of sin. We may not like that, but if you were to take a, a CAT scan of your spiritual soul and, and to take a look at yourself, what you find is you have this terminal infection. You, you are covered, infected with sin, and it's something that you're stuck. You can't, you can't on your own extricate yourself out of that situation. It's like you're drowning and you don't know what to do. You can't get yourself right with God. And then there's a turning point in chapter three, and that's where we begin talking about salvation. In Romans chapter three, verse 21, it says, but, but now, and what it's saying is this, that I've told you all of this, this horrible diagnosis of your life on your own, left to your own, but, but now. But now a way from God has been revealed, a way to be right with him. And he talks about that in the end of chapter three, and in the chapter four he says, what Christ has done for us, you can access that, you can, you can receive the gift of what Jesus has done when you place your faith in him. And what he says is that that changes everything. When you put your trust in Christ, and essentially it's saying this, you, you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I realize that I'm lost without you. If you're wondering how to put your faith in Christ, just praying something like this. Lord, I know the truth about me, that I am more flawed and sinful than I could ever imagine. And I'm stuck. But I also believe the truth about you, that you took my place, you took all of my guilt on your shoulders, and you paid the price that I could never pay. So Jesus, I put my faith in you and what you did in history 2,000 years ago. I trust my life to you. Would you come and live in me and lead me from this day forward? And when you do that, it just, it transforms you. It changes your identity. It shapes your sense of purpose today. It allows you to have a different outlook on your impending death that will come someday. It lets you view your past differently. It changes everything. That's what happens when you and I put our faith in Christ and we're justified. That's a big theological word. And what it essentially means to be justified or the process of justification is that you've been, you were wrong with God. You, you were at a distance and he makes you right with him. You're justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned, some people say. And, and so you're made right with God. And when you do that, it, well, it's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter five. Reasons we can have joy. Let's, let's take a look and see a summary snapshot in, in verses one and two. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have been made right or justified in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. What he does here, he sort of introduces us and he uses three verb tenses to say this encompasses all of who you are. He talks about our past. And he says your past can be completely forgiven, covered because of what Jesus has done for you. All the regret, whatever shame you deal with, it, he, it takes care of that. Your present can be lived with purpose and a sense of meaning that 
you can know that whatever doesn't quite go your way or otherwise, even if you're wildly successful, I've known plenty of people who have a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with a lot of money, but people who have money and that's all they have, and they, they, they start wondering, like, what's the point of this? Like, I just die someday and I leave it to other people or what? I mean, and there's got to be something more. And, and when you know Christ, it, it shapes your present. And then it also, it helps you to approach death, that you can say, I, I don't know what the process of death will be. And even I am like, ah, I'm a little bit, I'm not quite sure about that. But I know on the other side of the door, I'm absolutely confident of what I'm going to experience one day. That's the result of being justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's sort of laser in here and see up close these three and how Paul talks about them. For starts, after I put my faith in Christ, my past is completely forgiven because of Christ's death. Romans 5, you'll know, begins with a word that signals something important has been said before. And Paul says, therefore. You know, sometimes you'll be talking to someone in a more formal kind of way and you go, hey, all this stuff is, you know, therefore. And then you're like, this is the conclusion of the matter. And Paul says, because of what Christ has done for us and you having placed your faith in him, therefore, here's the gift that you receive. He says that we have been made right with God and God's sight by faith in Christ. Because of that, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. In other words, can't earn my way in, I never deserve it, but because of my faith in Christ, I am at peace with God. I can't do it on my own. Paul says this in verse six, he says, we were how helpless? Utterly helpless. Like just completely unable to pay our debt. So what did Jesus do? End of verse six, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I just want to pause for a second because often we just read that or we take communion and we go, yep, Jesus died for me. But would you be willing to die for someone? Someone came to you and said, uh, hey, I know we've only met one time, but I, they tell me I need a heart transplant. I, and I just think... <laughs> You'd go, I, 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 the only person maybe you'd give your life for someone you dearly love, right? Like maybe a family member, your best friend, you go, if I need to throw myself in front of a car or whatever to save them, it's either me or them. And, you know, but listen to what he says here. Why did God take our place? Verse seven. Now, most people would not be willing to die for even an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It's amazing, isn't it? Can I just tell you today, you are dearly loved. Not just when you make good decisions and you become sort of this better person. He's saying while you were a sinner, like you were messed up, you were running away from God, that you were like, I have no time for God, I, I can, and God said, I still love you. Even while you're still a sinner, even while you're far from me, I love you, and I gave my life for you. And because of that, Paul says, we can have peace with God. He doesn't say, listen to this, he doesn't say the peace of God. That's a wonderful gift as well. The peace of God is like in, in Philippians chapter four when it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your request to God, and the peace of God, well, like, it's gonna guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. There's something wonderful about experiencing God's peace in the midst of, you know, whatever kind of storm you're in. But he's not talking about that here. He says, it's not the peace of God. He says, it's the peace with God. In other words, there was a separation. There was an awkwardness. There was a debt that we owed that we couldn't pay. We've messed up and we're sort of embarrassed to be in, in that other being's presence. God himself, we're like, I don't, it's just weird, it's awkward. And he says, you know what, because of what Christ has done, you can have peace with God. You don't have to be ashamed. A number of years ago, there was an evening event uh, at Grace and I, the event finished up, I go out to the car get in the minivan with the kids, and it's dark outside. And I did not see this black car parked right behind me. And you know the miserable feeling when you feel a bump and you've hit something with your car, and you're like, oh. <clears throat> and I get out of my minivan, and I look, and not only is it like this, a black car, it's a black Mercedes Benz. Like, it looked brand spanking new. And I thought I knew who it belonged to, and so I'm just walking back into church just going, Lord, please don't let her be there. Like, please let her be in the bathroom, like, forever, and I can't, but I, and lo and behold, where is she? She's, like, right there. Like, the first person, I'm like, hey, Pat, um, something happened. My wife was driving our minivan. <laughs> no, I, I didn't lie. I, uh, I said, Pat, something happened. I was pulling my the mini meant back, it was, I didn't see your car, and I bumped into your car, and I'm gonna pay for any damages, I just, I just wanted you to know, I don't want you to be surprised when you're out there. You know what she did? She laughed. She was like, oh, Pastor Jonathan, it's just a car. I go, it's, it's not just a car, it's a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> My minivan, that's just a car. Your car is a Mercedes. She goes, no, God, don't, that's not even, no. And I said, I, I insist, I, I, I couldn't see what damage there was, it was dark, but I want you to have it, it turns out there was no visible, but here's what she told me. She said, Jonathan, I, I've, I've got you covered. Like, I, you, you, it's no, no issue at all, like, we're good. And I, I'm gonna, and I said, no, no, I, but we went back and forth. I was at peace with Pat because she had extended mercy and grace to me. Let's say I never had, had had that interaction. How would I feel the next time I'm walking through the lobby and I see Pam, I'm like, oh shoot. Oh, I feel so, I gotta get up and preach and I feel, all I see is that Mercedes in my head. Um, I feel terrible, right? And, but I was at peace with Pat, it was good. I could be in Pat's presence. Friends, you know what? In our relationship with God, we didn't just dent a car. We offended a holy God. We've turned our backs on him. We've said, God, I can do it my own way. Thanks, but no thanks. And the cost of that is not just several hundred or several thousand dollars. I, I'm incapable of paying. You're incapable of paying enough to ever be right with God. So what did he do? But now, a way to be right with God has been revealed from heaven. Romans chapter three, verse 21. And it's the cost of Jesus' life. 
And when I put my faith in him, I'm at peace with God. No more awkwardness. Mercy and grace covered everything. When I bring up my past and I'm like, Lord, you, I don't remember anything. I remember your sins no more. They're gone forever. When you're justified, it changes the way you view your past. That's a reason for joy to say, I, I don't own any of that stuff anymore. All my regrets and all, that's gone. Now, some people stop there and they're like, yeah, that's, that's what happens when you're saved. Is it all your past? But there's something more. Paul goes on here and regularly in the Bible, it talks about not only that we have a, a past benefit, but we have a present. That my present can be joyfully lived because of Christ's life in me. Look how Paul says in verse two, he says, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Not where we will stand or where we hope to stand, but where we now stand. Would you repeat these phrases aloud after me? You ready? Because of Christ, I stand right now in the place of undeserved privilege. Some of you are going, I didn't really know if you meant me like aloud. So let me do it one more time. You ready? Because of Christ, I stand right now in the place of undeserved privilege. Friends, when, before we put our trust in Christ, we, we didn't have that. Maybe some of you are on your way still, and you, you say, I don't, I'm not really in Christ. I've never put my trust in him. That means that right now, you're sort of alone in life. Like, you're facing whatever challenge by yourself or with the friends you have around you, but you all have your human limitations, there's an isolation, there's a sense of I'm not exactly sure what my purpose is beyond this life. And, and, but when you put your trust in Christ, something happens. God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live with you and in you. That means when you go and you watch a football game this afternoon, you're hanging out with family and friends over dinner, you go to work tomorrow, you go to school, you're driving in the car, you're never alone. You're never alone. You, you know when people go, if you, let's say you're single and you're living in an apartment or a condo or a house or whatever, and somebody goes, you live by yourself, you might say yes, but in your head you're going, no. No, because I always have Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't ever live alone. I'm never alone because I always have Christ in me, and so he comes into my life, and because of Christ, I am in this place right now, I stand right now in a place of undeserved privilege. That he loves me. He guides me. He gives me wisdom in the moment. He comforts me. He convicts me when I go astray. He fills me with hope about my future. That my personal relationship with Jesus changes everything about my present. Now one thing it doesn't change is some people go, oh, I still have a lot of problems in my life. And I'd say, welcome to the club. That's what Paul would say. Your problems don't suddenly disappear when you have a relationship with Christ. It didn't for Wes and Krista, they have them for me and they won't for you. And it didn't happen for Paul. In fact, what you read here, listen to what Paul says in verse three. He says, we can rejoice too in the present when we run into problems and trials. Wait, time out a second, Paul. Did you say we can rejoice in problems and trials? Paul says, yeah, for we know that they help us develop endurance. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying in God's economy, 
When you have Jesus living with you today, you can know something, and it's this, that your trials, your pain, your disappointments, your crises don't have to be wasted. That Jesus being with you can take anything in your life and he can use those to shape you. Listen to what he says here. He says that we develop endurance. And then in verse four, he goes on and he says there's this ripple effect that when we trust in Christ, he says, endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. In other words, the final chapter of your life does not have to be disappointment. For some people will be if they're like, I have no idea what my life's all about. But when you know Christ, he says, you have a confident hope that will not end in disappointment. Why? For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Do you see the progression there? He talks about endurance, to strength of character, to confident hope, which leads to a sense of just, I am loved by God. Friends, every ounce of suffering that you will ever go through can count. That God can take everything and shape it and redeem it and accomplish something good. Even the, the bad stuff that's done to you by other people. In your present, you can know that because of Christ, you stand now in a place of undeserved privilege. You can know him. So when you put your faith in Christ, it, it covers your past. It allows you to live joyfully in the present. But there's something about a future component as well. And, and it's where it's the reason why we don't end up with disappointment. And it's, and it's this. My future is eagerly anticipated because of Christ's return. Look at two words Paul uses to describe this in the end of verse 2. He says, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's, my friend, is how you can look at the afterlife. That's how you can approach your death. Confidently and joyfully. Would you say those two words aloud with me? Ready? Confidently and joyfully. That's not usually what we think of like, I am, someday I'm going to come to the end. Confidently and joyfully. Why? Because of what Christ has done for you. you he writes the final chapter. You see, before we come to Christ, we're in a place where it's scary that we're going to unchanged experience punishment for our sin. Romans chapter one to three talks about the wrath of God. We said a few weeks ago, the wrath of God is intended not for people. The wrath of God is intended against sin, against evil, against injustice. But if I never distance myself from my sin, if I'm never free from my sin, I become part of the recipient of wrath against sin. I'm stuck. And you could say there's hell to pay. So should you be afraid today if you don't have a relationship with Christ? Should you be afraid of death? Absolutely yes. Yes, you should. I say that with all the love that I can. But the moment that you put your faith in Christ, something happens. All of a sudden, you're free of your sin and your guilt, and you are adopted into a family that is looking forward to moving into a home that is going to be absolutely stunning. That's what he says, that we will have a share of God's glory. He talks about this in verses 9 and 10, that instead of retribution, we'll receive a reward. Instead of wrath, 
will receive a welcome. When our kids were young, uh, my wife, she read a lot of books to the kids, and, uh, and one of those books was a book about Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know the story about the Ten Boom family. They lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and Corey and her sister Betsy, and then, and then their, their parents, they had this watch shop in uh, the Netherlands, and, and the clocks and watch repair and all that kind of stuff. And they were people who had faith in Christ, and their faith infiltrated every year of their life. And for them, it meant uh, standing up for people whose rights were being uh, trampled on. And for them in that day, it meant uh, Jewish people. And so they they had a trapdoor under their dining room table. There was a carpet that covered this trapdoor, and they would have Jewish people living with them at the time when they knew that, hey, the SS troops or whatever, the Gestapo's coming after you. And so when they, when they saw these you know, soldiers come down the street, they would quick, they'd, they'd uh, pull up the carpet, open up the trap door, have you know, numerous people go in, the, in this hidden room in the basement and, and they would be safe until the day they were caught. And word has spread that uh, the number, amount of food coming to your house, everything, you're, you're hiding people and they came in and they found these Jewish people. In the, so they took off the Jewish people and they also took off the 10 booms. And, and so Mr. Ten Boom is taken off one way and his daughters, Betsy and Courier, take off another. And it was the last time that they would ever see him alive. And before they parted, their dad looked at them and he, he spoke a phrase that he had spoken numerous times through life. When things were really good in their business and when things were not so good. When they were enjoying great health and when they weren't. And their father had this phrase and he would just look at them and he would say, remember, the best is yet to come. And as they're parting, and he would die in a labor camp, he just looked at Corey and Betsy and he said, Corey and Betsy, remember, the best is yet to come. Friends, when you know Christ, it doesn't matter if you're dealing with cancer or whatever kind of disease or illness or challenge in life, you can know that This is not your final chapter. The best is what? The best is yet to come. Friends, that's the basis for our joy. How do Krista and Wes keep on going? Missing a daughter they dearly loved? Because they know the best is yet to come. That doesn't mean, again, that you walk around with this silly smile on your face all the time. It's okay to smile. But what it means is you have this confidence deep in your soul that whatever you face, that God is bigger. And because Jesus rose from the dead, the tomb is empty. He loves you today, and he's going to write your final chapter. And when you know that, that just ushers you into a joy. And you know what I find is the most compelling faith in this season of our country are people who live with joy. A joy that can't be stolen. Paul says it three times here. You'll see these three verses and then we'll close. Here's what he says. He says in verse two, he says, we confidently and joyfully look forward. Verse three, we can rejoice too when we run into problems. Verse 11, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. You see, even when life gets painful, we have this sense we know something There's another reality going on. Author Tim Keller says this. He says, joy is the great marker of the justified person. It is unique to Christianity because it does not depend on your circumstances or your performance. 
Don't you want that kind of a joy? I pray that for me. I pray it for you. That we'll not only know that kind of joy, we'll live that kind of joy. And friends, when you do, it makes a statement that people around you, they go, I want what you have. I want that for all of us. And so I'm just gonna invite you to pray with me right now. Would you pray and let's just ask the Lord to do this in our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you today that what you did on the cross shapes my identity. That it, it, wh who I am in the past who I am in the present and where I'll be in the future. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you that at the cost of your life, something I totally did not deserve, that you have wonderfully transformed all who come and put their trust in you. So, Lord Jesus, we just invite you by your Holy Spirit, would you fill us with new joy? Would you help us to see the invisible realities of what you've promised us in such a way that Lord, that uh, other people will stand up and take notice and go, I've noticed something different about you. Lord, I pray that for 17 people being held hostage right now in Haiti, that their joyful uh, presence with their captors would have an amazing impact. Lord, for people being persecuted around the world who are suffering for their faith, fill them with joy. Best is yet to come. Lord, for people right here now, and those watching and engaging online, Lord, I, I pray that for them as well, that whatever kind of suffering or disappointment or crisis, that, that we too, Lord, that we would live into the joy that you've provided because, Jesus, of all you've done. Make us more and more joy-filled people, we pray in your powerful name. Amen.